Welcome to the last session of the first day. Congratulations for having done it so far. This is the last hurdle for the day. It also happens to be the highest because uh, we start actually going uh, close to the product and doing uh, less of uh, philosophy. So uh, it can be tough, but it will be useful. So before I go ahead, do you have uh, questions about what we have done so far? Doesn't look like. Perfect. So we are going to spend uh, the next uh, hour, hour and 15 minutes, on the examining the WF uh, pipeline. That's to say that uh, we will look at how Windows Identity Foundation actually process the most classical uh, requests, like the basic scenario, how it actually takes place. Like we look at the internals of that. Not so uh, as uh, for the pleasure of doing uh, internals, which uh, you may or may not share. Like uh, you may have other hobbies, or maybe a social life. Like when instead, in my case, I don't. But uh, uh, because uh, all this is important if you want to change something. Like what we have done before for the managing the home run discovery was actually changing something of this process. So if you want to have a, a good idea of the possibilities, we have to go a bit lower level than what we have done so far. So normally here I talk prerequisites, but you guys seem already up to speed. So we will take a look at the configuration, which so far we just saw during the end during the labs, but we didn't really formally look at how it works, then we will spend some time understanding uh, one specific uh, transaction of WS Federation, which is the sign-in. We'll see in the details how the protocol mandated should take place. And then we will look at how Windows Identity Foundation makes it happen. This stuff is uh, specifically about Windows Identity Foundation, uh, sorry, about the passive case, let's say, the browser. However, many of the classes that we see here, we'll see them in another source tomorrow morning for the ones of you who will actually be so daring to come back in the WCF case. Because uh, again, we tried to optimize. Those two, like, <laughs> and you never ever get in here because uh, between questions and stuff to cover, usually this is enough to wear you off. But who knows? Maybe this time we'll do it. Doubt it. So prerequisites are usually the certificates. You would not believe how many people don't know about certificates. There's nothing to be ashamed of. When you are a developer, you usually don't care about those. So very often, people don't know about them. But since this morning I asked, and everybody knew, then we'll skip it. Also, SP.NET, again, how many of you know about SP.NET? Most of you. So for you guys who didn't uh, raise your hand, you did go through the labs successfully, right? Perfect. So that's pretty much uh, all you need to know at this point. So you are now up to speed. And uh, I guess we can skip. So yeah, claims are awesome. It's fantastic. It's a beautiful thing. And uh, Windows Any Foundation is just what uh, helps you to do that. So here, I don't think we got to this slide, so this is not really a reminder. It's the first time you see it. 
So how do you use Windows Identity Foundation? There are mainly four ways of doing that. The first way is uh, the easiest, using tools. So the little add STS reference, well, that's using a tool. It's not very complex, like, at all. Like, click, 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 ta-da. But it's also, like, not especially flexible. Not, not being especially flexible doesn't mean not being useful. Like, the scenario that we cover is probably the most common. So you don't need to be very flexible because you are doing that scenario. But then again, if you want to change things, as we have seen, you have to go under the cover. And the next option, which is a bit more complex but way more expressive, is playing at the configuration level. When I went in the config and I wrote home realm equal blue STS, that's what I was doing. And there are many other things that I can do with the configuration. Again, you have seen in the labs how to add your own custom authorization manager. Well, again, something that I do with the config. Another thing I can do, which gets more complicated, simply because it requires a, a different skill set, like here I need to be able to write code, is to handle events. There are events which are raised at specific moments in the lifetime of a request. If I serve it, of course, I can bend the process to my will, as we have done with redirecting to identity provider. And finally, we have subclassing. That's to say that I can take the classes of WIF, derive from them, and shove whatever I want in my implementation. At that point, I can do almost anything. Here's kind of like crossing, but we'll see in a moment. Note that those values are completely arbitrary. Like, uh, I didn't uh, run any uh, stats. This is just my gut feeling, so <laughs> don't feel like this is, uh, like, your, uh, your mileage may vary. But anyway, like, I have kind of uh, some experience with this, so accept it as my graphical opinion. I think that in English, graphical opinion means something different, but never mind. All right. So the configuration in Windows Identity Foundation mainly lives in that element. You had a chance to play with that uh, in both labs. And uh, by now, you know that uh, all that there is to know about Windows Identity Foundation lives in here. True, you needed to put other stuff around, like, for example, add your HTTP modules. But in general, this is uh, where we uh, define what we want. And typically, we group configuration elements in elements which we call service. We can have uh, multiple service uh, elements, and we just have to give them different names. Why is that? At uh, uh, application uh, load time, we may decide to pick one configuration set or another configuration set according to some external variable. For example, if we are in a staging or production environment, we may have different sets, like referring to different identity providers or, I don't know, whatever else. These mechanisms allow us to change various things. The save bootstrap token, which you saw me use, I should wait for saying that, but I'll tell you anyway, that's just a flag 
which allow me to save the entire token that I receive in the session, as opposed to write in the session just the value of the claims. Very straightforward. So what do we have inside the service? Let's start by seeing what the tool, which by the way, I don't know if I told you, the tool that you call when you say add STS reference is also available outside of Visual Studio, and it's called FedUtil. In uh, the first uh, instance, it was called FUtil.exe. And then we decided it was better to change the name, so today is FedUtil. So when uh, I say FedUtil, think add STS reference and vice versa. So the effect of a wizard is just to add certain elements to this uh, configuration. And so let's see what are those elements, and then we'll get deeper. First one, I'd say, is federated authentication. This is the place where we describe how we want the authentication mechanism to take place. And mainly, we have WS federation, in which we have all the various things, like the issuer that we trust, if we mandate SSL or not, if all the things that we added, like home realm, uh, and similar. So various parameters that actually are directly involved with WS Federation. As you can see, if you don't know how WS Federation works, it's kind of hard to use this guy, right? Like you could uh, follow recipes, like the one that I gave you this morning about home realm discovery. But for truly mastering these, you need to know what is what is trying to achieve. The cookie handler is a uh, one area which. Uh, gives us access to the way in which we manage the session, how we write the session, how long we want this to last, and various other uh, options. And of course, uh, running the wizard just means that uh, here we pre-populate with all the data about the identity provider that we point to. Then we have the audience URI. So this one is, uh, is interesting. So imagine a bank check. Bank check with a number and with the recipient, like the person that should be able to go and cash that check. If you find such a check on the ground, you pick it up, and you try to cash it, well, if a cashier is doing its job, it will say, I'm sorry, it's not for you. So audience URI is kind of the same. Like here, it indicates what should be inside the token for saying, yes, the token is for me. So, so that if you receive a token that has a different URI, you know that the caller is trying to reuse a token that doesn't really belong to them or that is not really meant for you. Conversely, when somebody tries to reuse the token which is for you, if the third party which receives the token follows the standard, it should refuse it. So that's just the meaning of this element. In the specific case of Windows Identity Foundation, this value also happens to be like an addressable value, like it's a network address, a URI. And the default STS, the one that we have seen, use that value for knowing where to send the token back. As we'll see tomorrow with Windows Azure, that approach doesn't really work when you don't have control over the URI. Like in Windows Azure, when you are hosted somewhere, your URI will change, and there is nothing you can do about it. But the applies to is in the config, and so you cannot change it as easily. So we'll see how this will bring some uh, 
sparkly details in our life. Then we have the application service element, which lists the claim types that uh, we expect from the STS. This is written on the basis of what the STS tells us when we launch the wizard. However, the only effect of those elements is uh, on the metadata. We don't really use those for any kind of validation. So, so putting stuff here, optional, not optional, doesn't make any difference. Then here we have an issuer name registry, which is an uh, interesting uh, element. This guy actually has the job of uh, listing all the trusted issuers for you. Like, uh, whoever you will accept a token from should appear here. When you launch the wizard and you reach out for them, you basically get the address of identity provider, like a mnemonic, like a friendly name which describes it, and uh, the thumbprint of the certificates that they use for signing the tokens. The wizard uses an out-of-the-box implementation of this trust of issuer name registry, which is called something like config-based issuer name registry, which basically creates one entry for the identity provider, which contains the thumbprint of a certificate and the one mnemonic name. At that point, everywhere in your system, you can refer to the name instead of a thumbprint. So if you may remember the tokens, and the claims that were inside, we had one issuer element. That issuer element was a string. That string refers to the string that we define in here, which has interesting implications. The question is, uh, can we have more than one? And the answer is, by all means. But the fact that you have uh, something in here means that uh, your automated pipeline will uh, accept tokens signed with a certificate with that thumbprint. But that doesn't mean that isn't here. Like here is where you say the issuer that I'm trusting is X. So it's one. Here you could have as many as you want, but uh, in the end the redirect will be done just on the base of this one. Okay. Perfect. So that's pretty much it. Let's say that uh, that's all it's needed uh, when you are uh, running the wizard. Then let's go a bit deeper. Like, let's see what else we can do. Claims Authentication Manager and Claims Authorization Manager are concepts that uh, we already met. Namely, we played with Claims Authorization Manager. That's basically one hole in our pipeline where we can inject our own logic for authorizing calls. We have seen that... Uh, it's true, this is a custom class, so, whoa, difficult. But uh, in the end, uh, that's not that complicated, because uh, the check access method, which is what we have to override in our class, actually deals just with claims. In other words, here, once we get to execute this class, we already digested whatever complexity was there to digest. So. Here we know nothing about the protocol that was used, the kind of token that we received, the canonicalization method that we used for signing that token. We know nothing about that. We just know about the list of claims that were extracted from that token, and possibly also the policies that we saved somewhere. So it is subclassing, so I'm not downplaying the complexity, but hey, I don't need to know anything, for example, about WS Federation. 
In fact, you can take uh, this exact same class, shove it in the pipeline that you have in, Wind in uh, Windows Communication Foundation, WCF, and it will execute just as well. In fact, uh, tomorrow, during the lab for WCF, you will see that uh, you will do a very similar strategy to what you have done today for making your own authorization. The only difference is uh, in the URI that uh, represents your resource. And if we would have been like less lazy, we could have done one single claims authorization manager, which literally, without even recompiling, can be used in SP.NET, can be used in WCF. So very straightforward. So claims authentication manager, what is that? That's similar. That's to say that you still get a list of claims, and you come out with an acclaims principle, as opposed to here, in which you come out with a true-false, like authorized, not authorized. Its function is to do whatever modification you want to do to your iClaims principle before you reach the application. So remember earlier when we spoke about enriching the claims coming in, and we said that we have two options, the resource STS doing that for us, or us doing that in the relying party pipeline. Well, that's this guy. That's where that takes place. And here we can do things like filtering the list of claims. So there may be claims that we don't trust from that identity provider. Let's say it's one bank. It's sending you how much you have in the bank, the number of your account, and your blood type. And even if the bank sometimes looks like it knows your blood type, in fact, uh, you should not trust them to assert that. So here you may, for example, filter it out, cut it out. Or here you could have uh, things like uh, custom principles. Like uh, maybe for your developers, it is uh, super important to be able to access certain claims as uh, properties. Like you don't want them to do the link. You have to know what you're doing because, of course, that entails uh, yet again deriving from my principle, which may not be very sustainable. But if you want to do it, can be done here. And of course, all the profile information that we described, that's another place where you can just retrieve it and put it in there. Be careful with I.O. because uh, pipeline. So if you don't do I.O. in the right way, your performance suffer. Well, the bliss pretty much ends here because uh, everything else, you need to know what's going on. Specifically, here we have a, a collection, basically, of security token handlers Windows Identity Foundation process handlers using this specific class, which is called Security Token Handler. Out of the box, we have, uh, I don't remember if it's 7 or 11, Security Token Handlers for various specific types. So, SAML 2.0 Security Token Handler, Session Security Token Handler, X509 Security Token Handler. All those come out of the box and will be able to already process those specific token types. However, there may be so there are two ways in which you want to modify this. One, sometimes you want to have a say in the way in which you process a certain kind of token, like you want something slightly different. For example, let's say an X509 token, you may decide to validate the this certificate in itself in a different way. Like for example, you may have a list of certificates that are not in the operating system, which represent smart cards of your users, 
and you want the validator to actually check if that certificate is among those. So that's something that you may want to change in the way in which you manage X509 tokens. Or when you receive SAML tokens, you may decide that certain claims in those uh, SAML tokens <coughs> represent like roles, for example. And let's say that your code is full of uh, calls to easy roll, and you want to make sure that those calls still work, but the claims that are coming in are not of a role type. You just want to do a mapping between that and the role. Well, here there is a way of telling to the SAML uh, security token handler that you want that mapping to take place. So the question is, uh, if uh, in the claims of indication manager we can remove that claim and then add it to role? Well, I'm not sure what you mean, but uh, those two things are pretty orthogonal. That's to say that uh, claims of indication manager can enter the details of uh, which claims you add or not add, like physical presence of a value in the collection. Here, for the thing that I just described, you are uh, interpreting a certain claim in a different way. Like, I can say this type of claim should be considered a role claim. Even if you don't change the type, you are just electing that to be the role claim. So that when you make a call to is in role, which typically in the old world would just work with roles and nothing else, now you can use this mapping for use whatever else. Like, for example, customer level, which would make sense if this is an ISV application and you want to use that as a role, so that you can make is in role gold equal something. So gold is not technically a role. This is just like a value. But uh, if you decide that uh, for you, customer level should be treated as a role, that's one of the things that you can define here. Those are completely orthogonal. Clearer? Perfect. So here we have one section which is common to all of them which, interestingly enough, uh, repeats some of the things that we have outside. So in theory, the correct uh, place to put, for example, the audience URI and similar should be here in the security token handler consideration. However, first the tool put the stuff outside. And second, there is the consideration that I said before. Like, up to here, potentially, you may not even know that we are dealing with tokens. Like, uh, it's not a concept that you need to understand yet when you are just talking about URI and similar. Of course, it helps, but not mandatory. Instead, once you get here, hey, you can't ignore it. It says token, 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 token. So you can see how you may choose sometime to put it in here and put it in here. Formally, the documentation says that this stuff is deprecated. But FedUtil writes in here, so you make it uh, what you want. And here we have some extra little flags, like for example, we have um, the token replay detection, which is an, um, is it just me or this thing is shaking a bit? Earthquake. So yesterday I just saw 2012, so now <laughs> I'm very sensitive <laughs> to these things. Sorry for this uh, personal life leaking into a, into a professional one. So the token replay detection is just a flag that you can use so that if somebody uses the same token twice, 
you can actually detect that the second time uh, it may be a replay attack. Because in theory, you get the token, as we'll see in a moment, you drop a cookie and start the session. If once you already have a session, you get the same token, oh, well, there is something fishy going on. So the token replay detection actually use a cache that we keep in memory. But if you want, you can make your own version, which puts stuff, I don't know, whatever you want, like NLB compliant and similar. And uh, we'll actually make that check on your behalf. And then uh, other interesting things. The question is, is that detection off by default? I think it is off by default. I should check, but I think it's off by default. What he says. As any other collection in the ASP.NET config, you can do add, clear, uh, uh, delete, uh, and similar. Here, the semantic of add is add or uh, overwrite, like uh, you actually copy on top of that. And we have four types that you can use out of a box. So x509, username, saml, and session. And uh, all of those have a specific uh, structure in the schema of this uh, configuration, which gives you a specific feature. Like, for example, the role mapping uh, feature lives in this element. And then, of course, if you have your coconut token, you can happily add it in here and uh, add it uh, on the uh, profile. So as you can see, for actually using this stuff, you st uh, like if you wanted to really put your hands in here, you needed to understand more of how actually the process goes on. I'll never get tired to repeat that. This is just because uh, here you are like uh, playing the role of a security expert. So here you want complete control over this. In the vast majority of cases, the, let to say, the layman, the developer who doesn't care about security, maybe is a super expert in UI or in business process, but don't care about security, they'll never be exposed to this. We are digging deeper because, uh, hey, we want to be expert about this. Any question before I move forward? All right. So now it's time to actually take a look at this uh, flow in more details. Like so far, we have seen the fact, but we haven't seen the flow. In fact, it's not that hard. Here we have our, well, we have our browser. And let's go to one website, which I just uh, configured for being the simplest website. Website and auto-generated SDS. This guy that you see here is an awesome, awesome, awesome tool, which is HTTP Watch, which uh, has one advantage in respect to Fiddler, which is uh, it lives within the browser. As a result, when I'm doing HTTPS stuff, when I'm getting here, everything is already decrypted. Instead, when you use Fiddler, you have to introduce like those intermediary certificates. And in this context, it's not always super easy to work with that. It's possible, but not super easy. The only like um, little flaw of this tool is that it's not free. It's, uh, I believe, $400, but well worth it. Anyway, now we are recording. 
So let's actually go. Hop. We did the usual, actually. Let me zoom for your benefit. Uh, actually, yes. So the first thing we did uh, was doing a get of our website. I want the default page of this website. So I get there, and as a result of this, I actually get a 302. So I, I don't tell you that it doesn't exist. I tell you that it lives somewhere else. But in fact, I'm tricking you because I'm sending you to uh, the identity provider. So that's pretty much it. Let's say that uh, it goes uh, as is as well. Like here, I got another redirect because uh, I landed on the, um, on the login. I landed on the uh, STS page, but I wanted uh, actually to the login because I'm not authenticated. So I get another 302, and I get on the page wherever is my login. And then finally, I get a 200, and room, I get everything. And now here, when I click Submit, you'll see a post. And back and forth, ta-da, we get in here. So all this back and forth was not random. It was not proprietary, like it happens, for example, with forms authentication. But it was, in fact, following a uh, very well choreographed dance in which everything was uh, described, almost everything, was described by WS Trust, which is, as you know, an OSIS open standard. So instead of going into the details of the capturing, I actually made a swim lane diagram for your benefit. And I'm sure that uh, you'll find it easier to read. So here, first thing, I do a get. Can you all read these, or do you want me to zoom? How about the guys in the back? Perfect. So here I'm just doing a get. I am not authenticated. So something, WF here, will tell me, 302, yeah, sure, I found your resource, but you have to go this other place to find it. And here I put the address of STS, and in the query string I add the number of parameters. Those parameters are the famous WS Federation parameters. Here I have three examples. WA is the action. This is uh, what I want to take place. In this case, it is sign in. So I use these, which is pretty much defined by the standard. Then I want to, to sign in for this realm, which is myself. And here I also throw in, since it's for free, the uh, time of the request. So that if it arrives too late, uh, there's something fishy going on. So the system gets there, and it's a browser. And uh, if you may remind, the browser is uh, stupid. So it can just uh, do whatever it's told to. So it just follows the 302. Yes, sir? So the question is, uh, anybody can change the time? Well, HTTPS. So not really true that anybody can change it. That's a common misconception. If you are HTTPS, uh, the query string will be uh, protected. OK, so now 
this address has to come into our stage. So we actually try again very faithfully. <laughs> it's almost sad to see how the browser just do whatever it's told. We do again a get, but instead we use the new address, which is the identity provider, sorry, the SDS, because this could be whatever, like a, a, a resource SDS, for example. And in the query string, we have all our magic. OK, so we are of SDS. And from this moment on, this is completely under our control. So we do whatever we like. In all our samples, these would be forms of authentication. So yet another redirect and similar. But you could have literally whatever you want. In ADFS, not really. There are three ways of doing that. And you use those three ways and nothing else. But if you write your own, you can do whatever. And for the purposes of these, we don't care. We don't care as long as the result is this magic 200. Perfect. Here, there's the resource that you wanted. But another trickery, instead of giving the source, we send back a form with method post with action, guess what? The address of the original location and a couple of other parameters. WA, which again keeps the sign in 1.0. Remember, this is all exquisitely stateless. Like this guy sent this and completely forgot that we ever showed up in its door. So once we come back, we'll have to remind him what we are trying to achieve, which is signing in. And then we have this W result, which contains the token, exactly. So here it contains, among other things, the token. Perfect. So the browser faithfully executes this, and that means that it actually performs a post with HTTPS and all the parameters that we mentioned here. Here, I forgot to make it red. So once we receive this post, now finally we have a token. So we can do whatever uh, checks are necessary for verifying that the token has the, what it takes. And then we are cruel. We don't give access to the resource right away. But we give yet another 302, this time on ourselves. Like we relocated, and the, the address is the same, but we also make a set cookie in which we create the cookie which says, yes, you are authenticated. And here, we keep whatever we find fit. So remember the save bootstrap token? That would be the place where we save the entire token if that flag is uh, 1. If that flag is 0, here I'd have just the list of claims, for example, plus another couple of information about the uh, specific session. So this one is actually our session. So our browser finally tries the same get before, but this time adds the cookie. And at that point, uh, we can uncork the bottle. Ta-da! We finally get a 200, and we give back the page. And from now on, every time we'll call that domain, we will actually add the cookie fed off here. So until the session doesn't expire, we will be able to just get directly authenticated. So as you can see, like there is uh, no black magic behind this. Like this is a very lowly mechanism. And uh, if you look at the SAML protocol, it's not that different. Like the purpose is very similar in this context. And in fact, 
Also note, this one may be WS Federation, but in the vast majority of cases, the token type that we send around is a SAML token. So one of the big differences between SAML protocol and WS Federation is WS Federation does not mandate the type of token. If you want to use an arbitrary type, you can use it. SAML happens to be a very good format for describing the kind of things that an STS has to say about users. But nothing prevents you from using whatever else. When you're using the SAML protocol, you are doing a similar dance. You are like a syntactic sugar is different. Like uh, what the right thing is will be different. Like the order maybe will be different. But still, the intention is the same. But in the SAML protocol, you are mandated to use SAML. Like small trivia. OK, so now that we have seen these, we could have described anything, not just uh, Windows Identity Foundation, not just ADFS, but uh, absolutely any entity which implements WS Federation. Are you with me so far? Are you still awake? Barely, barely. So, small detour. Now that we outsource authentication to the external uh, provider, well, the token remains the last thing that we can cling upon for making sure that uh, authentication took place in the right way. So those are things that you want to check about your token. So you want to check that the format is the right one. And here, you are taking decisions on top of that. So the difference between SAML 1.1 and SAML 2.0, like uh, it's important to know the format and to know the semantic. Because uh, if you don't, you may, you may misinterpret. If you misinterpret, you may give the wrong permissions. So that's important. Of course, uh, you want these uh, to be tamper-proof. That's to say that uh, if you check the signature, regardless of who put the signature, and the signature does not compute, well, somebody broke into your token. So throw it away. This morning, some of you experienced the pleasures of having a token which is expired because we had uh, machines that didn't have the right time. And so our ADFS was sending a token that was already expired. So of course, it's something that you want to check. You need to be able to decrypt, which means having the necessary uh, crypto and uh, knowing the kind of uh, algorithm that you used. You want to check for duplications. We mentioned that before about the token duplication cache. We want to make sure that uh, whoever signed is trusted. So signature must be untampered with and also must come from somebody you trust. Two things that are different, that are checked in different points of your uh, area. You want to check the audience restriction so that you make sure that it's for you and not for somebody else. And of course, you want uh, to make sure that the list of claims is uh, the right one. So how many of you guys ever saw a uh, SAML token? Not everybody. So for giving you extra frill, I'll actually show you one. Like it's not, uh, it's nothing special, but at least once in a lifetime, we have to say that we saw it. So here, among the things that we can see, there is also the row token. So if I open XML Notepad. So the summer format is uh, a very nice format for many reasons, because mainly 
it has the necessary expressive power for all the parameters that I described before. So for example, here, you can see some elements which, for example, make very easy for me to understand what is uh, the, uh, the format or the version. And uh, I will not impose on you to go every little step and tell you how I can check that specific condition, like with signature and similar. I've done that in one of those, but people were not especially happy. So here, I will just give the very high level. But for example, here, in the wild, that's a claim. See, in its own natural habitat, a claim looks like a SAML attribute in the SAML token, which has a type, as a value, and lives into this specific area. So a SAML token is nothing esoteric. It's just that. The part that is kind of esoteric is this, like all the crypto. The signature, the various key in areas, the digest, the canonicalizations, all those things that you don't want to care about, you don't need to care about, because Windows at any foundation takes care of that on your behalf. So now you can tell that you saw in your lifetime a SAML token. Not very exciting, but hey. That's what we get. Yeah. So now we get to the interesting part. <laughs> like here is uh, where I need you guys to focus your energy and uh, like make this last effort. Because uh, if you understand this, you don't necessarily have to remember everything. But if you understand this, you really understand how WF works. And you also get for free how ASP.NET works in the effort. So how many of you know what is an HTTP module? A lot, but not everybody. So every ASP.NET application follows more or less the same life cycle. So when uh, you receive a request, the ASP.NET application will go through a sequence of events, and for each of those events, it will execute certain things. So like, for example, when they begin request, it will set up certain things. Like when the application for the first time comes up, it will execute other things, like reading the configuration and stuff like that. And here, I have a few examples of those events. Those are just four, but you have like 12, 15, something like that. The interesting part about those is you can create your own class and subscribe it to some of those events. As a result, your class will be called when that event takes place. So imagine that uh, you are an SP.NET application. You are sitting there. You receive a request. You launch the first uh, uh, event. And then you go through all the list of uh, the modules which actually subscribe to that event. Then once you exhausted that, you move to the next event, and you do the same. So basically, what happens is that authenticate request, I go through all the subscribers here. Once I exhausted them, I come here, and I do the same with the post-authenticate request until I finish end request, and finally, I give control to my application. That's how ASP.NET works. Like, nothing weird about that, right? OK. Windows Identity Foundation comes with, out of the box, uh, something like three or four modules, but we are interested just in three. 
One is uh, the WS Federation Authentication Module, or for friends, FAM. I even drop the WS because, you know. And this uh, weird notation is my poor attempt to showing you what are the uh, methods that I subscribe to. This just means that uh, in this module, there are three methods. Those methods will be called in the context of this stuff. Then we have a session authentication module, which subscribes just to authenticate request and post authenticate request, ignores everything else. And then finally, we have, uh, ah, for his friends, some. Finally, we have uh, authorized request, which, as the name implies, is interested only in authorization. Now, what I'm going to do, for your pleasure, is going to take the same stuff that happened before, like uh, the sequence, but just look at uh, how we actually process these. Like, for example, when we receive the unauthenticated call, how we actually make the federation happen. And that basically means visiting this thing according to a certain order. But our cast of actors is not complete until we don't add one module which comes out of the box, which is the URL authorization module. So when in SP.NET you use the element authorization, what you are actually doing is adding this guy in this pipe. And it will actually take care of enforcing whatever you say. Like if it's authorization deny question mark, that's the guy that is going to enforce it. So let's get back to what we were doing before. Here we receive a get of our page, HTTP 1.1, and similar. So the execution comes here. Like we execute authenticate request event, the first module which we find is the FAM. So the implementation here of this method is very simple. It looks at the call and search for a token. Like basically, it looks if this is a response from the STS, like somebody coming back with a token. And this is not the case. The user is not even authenticated. So I'm not interested. And I will let this stuff go through. So the execution move to the next one. Here, I'm at the session authentication manager. Actually, let me just, OK. For friends, come. Here, the implementation of this method of authenticate request here is I look at the call and I search for my cookie. Is there a AWS Federation cookie? No, because it's the first call, so I'm completely unauthenticated. So I completely don't care and I let this going through. Yeah, well. I go through and I exhaust whatever was in this method, so I raise the post authenticate request method. So execution comes in here. In this method, the only thing I do is I look in the current thread to see if the current principle is a I claims principle. Is it an I claims principle? No, I'm not even authenticated at this point. Or yes, in this case I'm not authenticated. So here there is code that take whatever principle which is not iClaims principle, takes all its content and copy it in an iClaims principle. 
and then I substitute it in the current thread. So the reason is, if I am in the pipeline, whatever happens, I want to make sure that the application will receive a nigh claims principle, so that I don't break a code in which I'm doing a casting and stuff like that. And that's it. And then I just go straight. Here, very easy, I have exactly the same code as this guy. Because sometimes it may happen that I have just one of those two. So I, in both cases, I have to guarantee it. And now what happens? I check the current thread. Is the current uh, principle an iClaims principle? Yes, because this guy just did it. So nothing for me to do, and the execution goes forth. So I get to authorize request, and I end up in the URL authorization manager. Here. I have uh, the setting which says that only authenticated user can access my website, right? So the result of this is, oh, I'm so sorry, but you are going to get a 401. So it gives a 401 and calls end request, which means that uh, whatever else was in this thread, thread, sorry, in this uh, event will not be executed and I will go straight to end request. So I go straight to end request. Here I get the method which the thumb uses for end request. The code of this method is like very, very straightforward. It waits for 401s, which is exactly what happens now. You just got a 401, says, oh, awesome. So maybe this is a 401, like the user is not authenticated. Maybe this is the hint that we have to start our WS Federation dance. So, looks up stuff on the, on the web config, finds the configuration, finds all the various elements which uh, allow me to build the sign-in request. I build the sign-in request. I raise one event, which you guys already know, which is redirecting to identity provider. I give you your chance of saying your opinion about that. And then after that, I just redirect. So what was a 401 becomes a 302 with that long message that I built. Are you with me so far? Like it's boring, but uh, it's not that hard, right? It's very straightforward. Now the hard part comes. <laughs> so let's assume that uh, we sent stuff to our STS, that our STS worked its magic, and now it is sending back uh, our token inside the AWS result. So what happens here is that we come back here, exactly like before, we're trying to make our, uh, our get. And here, you remember what we were doing here. We were sitting, waiting for requests which contain a token, which is the case. So now I'm going to take this guy and expand it in the entire uh, slide, and we're going to see what happens inside that guy. So first, I have to get the security token. So. I pull out my security token handler. Which one? The correct one, depending on the type of token which is coming in. So vast majority of cases, this is going to be SAML XX uh, something. And here I have to do all those interesting, interesting, all those things that needed to be done for making sure that the token is good, which is also why I put you through the effort of seeing what those are. So here we have to decrypt, to deserialize, and to check the signature, just to see if it wasn't compromised, not from where it's coming from. How do we do that? 
Well, our security token handler will have code that is able to do that. But uh, we also take advantage of uh, a class called security token resolver, which is something that I use for going from the token, which refers to a certain key, to the actual key. So sometimes this is as easy as going to my in a certificate store and retrieving the key. Public, if I'm uh, checking a signature. Private, if I'm decrypting. So this stuff is called both for myself and also for whatever comes in. But sometimes you may actually want to keep it somewhere else. And in fact, you may actually have your own version of this. Not very common, but may happen. So once you have done this, you start from a goo that you received here to actually a well-formed token. Like now in memory, I have a SAML token because I deserialized. At that point, I celebrate by raising this uh, security token received event. So if you want to do something about it, here there's your hint. Then now I have to authenticate that. And here in an interesting uh, clash of uh, terminology, instead actually this phase they call it validate, which interestingly enough uh, is a bit of what we have done here. So never mind, like syntactic sugar. So in validate, what do we do? We use the class issuer name registry for making sure that whoever put the signature was somebody that I like. So here, important. And what I get as a result is a collection of claims. Then at this point, this is the clue for the claims authentication manager to step on the stage. That's the moment in which I just look at the collection and I do whatever I want with it. Like, I want to get rid of some claims, I can do it. I, wa I wanted to add my profile claims in the context, I can certainly do that as well. I, if I wanted to use a custom principle instead of a other principle, that's absolutely up to me. So that's where stuff takes place. At that point, I finally come out with an I claims principle, or derived from I claims principle. So, big part of the job is done. Now, what is, what's missing here? The session. I needed to create the session. So first, for good measure, I celebrate, hey, the security token has been validated. Let's all uh, handle that. And then I start to create the session. So here, that's interesting. Instead of doing it myself, I call the session authentication module, but I'm calling it as a class, not as a module. As a module, it is called using those uh, metal pipes that I've drawn. Here, I'm actually like calling it explicitly. So hint, if you want to create your own version of this guy, not only you have to make sure that it's a good HTTP module, you also have to expose all the methods which I'm uh, implicitly referring to here. So first, you want to create the session token. How do you do that? Session security token handler, which is a kind of weird token handler, but still derives from the same class. This guy takes advantage of uh, Never mind. So what we get is, and we are still in memory, a session security token. So here, I may want to override this guy if I have uh, like some exotic uh, tastes. For example, let's say that here I have a claim, which is one image, like the image of my user. And let's say that I just wanted to acquire it on my backend, but then when I show it, I don't want to have the burden of having a big, big base64. So here, I could have logic which, for example, or exclude it from a session, 
or uh, make it black and white, or make it a lower bitrate, like whatever I want. Anything that has to do with a session can be done in here. Or maybe if you want to, I don't know, for example, make this guy able to deal with uh, NLB so that uh, you save stuff in the right places. So here is uh, where you want a lot of things to happen. And uh, we'll see some example during Windows Azure. So once we do that, we erase session security token created. And then we actually want to, well, here we say authenticate, which is weird because we just created it. But uh, that's just because we are reusing a code that we will use uh, when we actually just receive a session instead of creating it. And here we want to assign our principal or whatever was pulled out from this guy in the current thread. And then we actually want to serialize the cookie. How do we do that? With the cookie handler. You will not want to uh, override this guy unless you think you can do a better job than us at something. For example, sometimes the content that you have here, like you know what it's all about, so you can use uh, an encryption system, which is more, uh, sorry, a compression system, which is more efficient than ours. So at that point, go ahead, write your own. The cookie handler doesn't really understand what's inside the cookie. This is just that saves and deserializes. If you want understanding, you want the handler. Like this guy doesn't, uh, like sees stuff as blobs. While instead, this guy can actually go into the layout and make decisions. So once we finally get stuff, we created the cookie, we can finally say that we signed in. So we raise, we signed in, and then we call complete request. That's to say that we don't want anybody else to execute. We just want to go back with a set cookie so that uh, uh, our client will write the cookie and then come back to us. Yes, sir. You should be able to put it uh, in the, ah, OK, sorry. You are perfectly. So where should I put the timeout in the session? Well, in theory, in the cookie handler uh, element of the configuration, there should be something that allows you to change that. But then, if you want to do something more advanced, you want to do something at the sum level. Consider that what you have seen so far is the creation of a session then the checking of the validity of a session, we haven't done that yet. Like in a moment, you'll see that, and then maybe it will be clearer where you put things. Yes, sir? So I noticed the cookie spread off cookies. That means that other web-based apps, which have the same pipeline because they're existing, that could be reviewed. This has happened. So the question is, uh, uh, are other WF apps not going to go through these because there is the cookie? And the answer is, uh, not really, because that cookie is uh, tied to the domain. Well, yeah, if they're in the same domain. If they're in the same domain, absolutely. Or, uh, of course, you can uh, configure uh, the pipeline to do differently, like what we are seeing now. But yeah, absolutely. Also, there is a way of, uh, instead of having everything in the cookie, to just have a cookie which is a reference to something which lives on the server. At that point, if that is the case, uh, then uh, when you have like multiple applications but in the same domain, you may still have issues because that depends where you save the session state uh, on the server. Because if it may be shared across application or it may not. 
Okay. So did everybody understand that? So that wasn't that bad, right? But of course, I tried to scare you so that you would uh, put uh, effort into it. And uh, the vast, 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 always, majority of the cases, you will not need to do all these. Like this is just for giving you a, as a wide a panorama as possible on what take, uh, takes place. But uh, usually you will do a tweak here or a tweak here, or you will derive from here. And uh, you never really need to redo the entire thing. Otherwise, like you are writing your own product. Sometimes you may want to do that. Like, for example, if you want to support an entirely different protocol, you want to, like, let's say that you have really a lot of uh, lonely nights. You want to write the SAMLP protocol for WF. Nothing prevents you from taking this stuff, taking it apart, and building your own system. Can absolutely be done. But at that point, like, you are writing your own. You don't need it to go all the way. Typically, usually, you will tweak things here and there, like have your own version of security token handler, or tweak how things are done here through the specialized um, configuration element and things here and there. OK, so next. Now, finally, we are authenticated. We have a cookie. So let me add the UAM here. And now we are making our get something and cookie fed out. So we arrive here at the farm. Do you remember what we do in here? Looking for a token. But here, there's no token. So we don't care. And we let this stuff go in through. What happens here? Here we look for a cookie. Do we have a cookie now? Yes. So we expand this and this. Brazilian party? <laughs> no, not really. We just uh, deserialize uh, the uh, token. And uh, for your sake, I didn't make it animated. This is all here because it's simpler. So what we do, we read the token. Like this is a cookie, and we read it. We do it using the cookie handler. Here, reading a cookie entails a number of things, like uh, decrypting the cookie, deflating it because it may be inflated. Actually, vice versa, inflate it because it was deflated. And uh, um, checking signatures because we also sign that. And we'll see in the Windows Azure context that there will be interesting things about this. Because in a load balanced environment, I have to be very careful about uh, what I use for encrypting and signing this guy. Then, of course, where do we deserialize this guy? Inside a session security token handler. Or better, it is the session security token handler that, thanks to the blob reader, will do the job of recreating the layout. And then we raise, hey, we received the session security token. We will use that for setting the current principle. And we'll just go straight. So execution flows further, arrives here. Post authenticate request. What do we do here? Before, we were looking at the current principle in the thread. And if it's not an Eclipse principle, we transform it, like we do a copy constructor, in quotes, into an Eclipse principle. But here, it's already an Eclipse principle. So we do nothing, and we blissfully send the process forward. What happens here? 
it's exactly the same as this. Like this is literally the same implementation. So I look if the current principle is an acclaimed principle. If it isn't, I make the copy constructor. If it is, I do nothing. It is, do nothing. So execution goes forth. I land here, URL authorization manager. Now I am authenticated. I have my cookie. So I do nothing. I am authorized. Finally, I land here at our claims authorization module. And what happens here? We have seen it. We just instantiate. Actually, the instance is already there. We just happen to call it. We call our implementation of claims authorization manager. We pass the current principle. We pass the uh, policy that we have. We do our worst in our check access. Actually, we do our best. And if the check is successful, we just return true, which means that the sequence goes forth and request here. Do you remember what we do in here? Here we sit waiting for 401. And once we get the 401, we immediately look if we are configured for UWF Fed. And if we are configured, we create the sign-in message. Here is not a 401. Actually, so far, we are uh, on track for creating a 200. And then finally, at this point, we just, or better, we don't give a 200 right away. We go on our uh, processing, and we do. We'd give a 202 if we'd need to. But in general, let's say that here, finally, the request is successful. And so I can actually execute whatever was in the page and render stuff back to the browser. Yes? So when the claims authorizing manager says false, what happens? Does it say 500 or some of the No, well, it, it gives unauthorized, which should be 404, something like that. No, 500 is internal server error, like something detonated on this side. Uh, here is like. Uh, you're not authorized, but uh, this is not an exception. Like, as a part of the correct execution of uh, everything, I conclude that you're not authorized. So it's all part of the. Uh... All right. Questions? So again, very, very straightforward. And as you can see here, if you want to do something with a session, you can do it here. Like, for example, if uh, you would be in a if you would want to make the session like a sliding windows, like uh, when you are active, I keep the session alive regardless of, uh, but if for five minutes you are not active, I want to kill it. Here, I can actually put the code that once we arrive, I actually like extend the session every time I get you. Stuff like that. So to be complete, I have to mention that what I've done so far is completely based on what I call the redirect approach, which is not very correct because also this approach is based on redirects. But let's say that what you have done so far is based on a blanket that I put on top of my website, and every request will trigger something like this. Sometimes you don't want that. Sometimes you want to control the moment in which you trigger the uh, federation process. To that purpose, we have one element. It's control. It is a server control for a speed.net, which is called uh, 
passive sign-in control, or something like that, which you can actually drag on one ASP.NET page, and the properties of that control are the same properties that you actually find in the web config in the WS Federation element. So when somebody clicks on that control, that's the equivalent of uh, landing on um, long landing on this guy with a 401 and from that moment on like starting exactly the same process that we have seen so far with the main difference that you control when the tech, when that happens because until the user doesn't click it or until you don't use some JavaScript magic for making that click happen you will not be redirected. Also, the other difference is that here, it's ASP.NET that takes care of installing this stuff, like instantiating those modules. And the other way is the control in itself, which explicitly instantiates the FAM, the CAM, the SAM, and have them process the request. So why would you want to do that? Well, for various reasons. One is, uh, as I mentioned, that you may want to control the experience. So you may, you may want to know when that happens. Also, this could be a very, very brute force way of controlling uh, home realm discovery. Like you could have uh, one link for every identity provider. Everybody has its own set of configuration. Depending on where the user clicks, stuff happens. Or you could do yet another system. Like, for example, you could have logic which assigns those uh, properties programmatically so that when you click that link, uh, this thing uh, actually reflects that logic. So you already did uh, some home run discovery somehow. Personally, I focus on uh, the blanket system rather than this one. And I do the same also, not in this book, but in the one that I should be writing, and instead I'm here. <laughs> doing uh, the presentation. No, I actually prefer to do this rather than writing. I focus on the other one because I like the idea of uh, externalizing authentication. I can be kind of like strict from the architectural perspective. And this thing lives inside your code. Like this could be very, very easy to use. And uh, the complete externalization is a goal that we can strive for. But in practical situations, we can almost never completely achieve. So I'm not saying don't use this. By all means, when you think it makes sense, use it. It's simply that when given the choice, I just find the cleaner to flip something in the config and stuff happens, rather than having to open the project, go through the properties of this guy, and then recompile. So that's the main reason. So I have other stuff on the slides, but I think that uh, I've already burdened you enough. So if you guys have questions, I'm here, and I'm more than happy to clarify. And please, even if you're tired, if you do have a question, ask for it. Because uh, the best way of uh, fixing stuff in the brain is like killing the question as soon as it arrives. And uh, if tonight you'll have like, more questions, tomorrow morning we will start with, do you have questions about yesterday? So yes, sir. Privately. Is the uh, set up for 
the question is, is the FEDAF uh, cookie format open? Actually, I don't know. I don't know. <coughs> I know that the SAML has uh, one artifact, which is kind of like described. I honestly don't know if uh, we are following any specific specs. I'll come back to you on that, because I'm actually interested as well. Yes, sir. Not to this level of detail. Let's say that now we have seen. Uh, thank you. Am I going to go through the, uh, something similar with WCF? Not to this level of detail, meaning that uh, now we introduced uh, most of the classes that are useful for. So now I'm going to build on top of this, and I'm just going to tell you how we inject ourselves in the pipeline which is like very straightforward. Uh, we'll see that tomorrow, but WCF has uh, a service authorization manager extension point, and we just provide our own, and we provide various other plugs, and we just put it in there. Like we are a service, uh, a service behavior, which you put on top of uh, WCF. So we, also WCF is way more intelligent than a browser, so we don't need to do all these uh, back and forth. The pipeline is similar, meaning that you still use a security token handler as opposed to all the Byzantine set of classes that you had to do when you wanted to create your own token handler in WCF. And also, you can use the same claims authorization manager, claims authentication manager, and similar. So in the end, you'll end up with a necessary knowledge to know what's going on, but we won't need to go through all these. I would not uh, say that um, WCF is simpler by any length, but uh, I'd say that it's more powerful. Hence, uh, you need less uh, trickery. Also, WCF is designed to process tokens, like it was already based on these. It just happened not to expose these in a way that was very developer-friendly, in my opinion. Like, instead, these is actually more friendly. 